On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to consider Luke chapter 23 and the latter half of it. We'll look at Jesus as he travels the road to the cross and is crucified upon the cross. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. We always enjoy the opportunity that we can get together in this digital wonder that we take for granted every single day and study the Word of God. Um, I always do appreciate the, the preachers who are willing to join me live on camera and on microphone to help host this study. But I want you to know that your participation is just as valuable. We want to thank you for your interest in these things. And if you have any questions or comments, you'll be able to uh, participate in the study through the following method. Paul, if <laughs> you would share that following method with them. Sure. Uh, if you are watching today live, uh, certainly we appreciate those who watch a recorded version. Uh, but you can send us a message at uh, questions at truthfactor.com. You can watch us on Truth Factor Live on uh, YouTube. And if you do that, there's a chat area there. You can go to Twitter and look at Truth Factor or even on Facebook. Uh, we have a live video there. And it's Facebook slash Truth Factor Live. And we hope that you'll join us and that you'll participate in our study today. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. All right. I'll tell you what. Um, Paul, why don't you go? Yes, oh, sir. before we begin, we have Mike Davis, who is wearing a very, very special type of tie, who has joined us today. Mike, it's good to have you back with us. How are you, sir? I'm I'm doing much better, thank you. I'm glad to be asked to come back and have a part in this profitable study. It's uh, it's marvelous to get back with you. Well, you look like you look like you're doing better. Well, I, I'm feeling better. The wife keeps threatening to drill a hole in this horse collar and put a leash on it, but I guess I'll get by. We'll uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get the neck healed up and I'll be okay. <laughs> well, good. We're thankful you didn't break your neck uh, with the way that off. Well, I did break my neck. It just didn't paralyze any of the nerves, for which I'm very fortunate and very grateful. Oh. But, uh, yeah, the yeah. C6 is broken, and it uh, it's going to take a while to heal up. But I'm getting by. I'm back to preaching. Uh, I got to preach both Sundays this month and uh, started a class on Revelation a week ago yesterday. Got back into teaching on Wednesday night a week ago tonight. And so I've, I'm back at it. They just won't let me drive, so. Wife, let me move the office to the kitchen. Well, did any of the members come up and say, Mike, we were hoping for a longer break? We'll not discuss that on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've been extremely helpful. They really have. That's Orlean, I, I can't say enough good about them. They're just marvelous, marvelous brethren. That's great to hear. Uh, we also have Brendan with us. Brendan, how are you doing again? Doing good, John. It's been a while. Yeah, welcome back. Glad you could spare the time. <laughs> Brendan yeah. stepped in. Brendan kind of unexpectedly found himself in the middle of a full-time work a little bit earlier than what he had planned. And uh, so his, his workload got real heavy real fast. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you, glad you could be here today. All right, Paul, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to you, sir. And if you would, let everybody um, tell us what we'll be looking at today. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 23 today, and as we look at Luke chapter 23, last week we, we looked at the first half of this chapter, and we looked at how uh, Jesus was brought before Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod when he found out he was a Galilean. Uh, Herod sent him back to Pilate, and then uh, we see that uh, even though no one in, in any of the trials could find any reason uh, for any uh, criminal charges to be sustained. Uh, we see that, in fact, though, uh, they let a notorious criminal named Barabbas go, and they have sent Jesus away to be crucified. They have beat him. They have shamed him. Uh, they have treated him despicably, uh, not realizing and not, well, maybe a better way to say that would be not recognizing uh, the greatness of who Jesus was. And that brings us down today to Luke 23, verses 26 through 32. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask Brendan, uh, glad to have him back. I'm going to ask him to read Luke 23, uh, 26 through 32, and give you a chance to turn there. And we'll be looking at some things here 
uh, just a few verses that tell us about the trip from Pilate uh, out to the place where Jesus would be crucified. Brendan? We're reading from the uh, New American Standard, so I may read a little bit differently on your guys' screen. When they led him away, they seized the man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed him on the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned to them, uh, to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, uh, begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. <clears throat> Thank you, Brendan. And as we look at this, we uh, can look at some parallel accounts. We can realize that they had so weakened Jesus that he was unable to take his cross all the way. Normally, the uh, accused would be required to carry his cross out to the place of crucifixion. Uh, he was uh, unable to do that. Uh, and so there was this man, a Cyrenian. His name is Simon. He is compelled to do that. And we see that there are a multitude of mourners that are there. And our question for our chat room is, and so if you're watching us and not on camera, but you are watching via chat. We'll come back to this question in a few minutes. That we see something there that uh, they were crying out. We see multitudes and leaders crying out for Jesus to be crucified. Why in the world would there be mourners? Uh, and so uh, maybe there's a, a good answer that you have of why uh, there were uh, multitudes of mourners there. Now, uh, Tom, uh, who was it that carried Jesus's cross, and why did he carry that cross? Uh, we're told that there was a man named Simon of Cyrene, uh, and I guess he was just—it says he was just coming from the country, and uh, for whatever reason, I guess, the Romans had the authority to compel somebody to assist them, and uh, for some reason, uh, he helped Jesus. Uh, uh, I don't know if one of the accounts actually says that Jesus fell under the weight of the cross, but uh, uh, very likely because of what had already happened to him, the beatings that he had endured and various things, that he needed help. And so Simon was compelled to help him, and uh, he did. We don't know whether it was voluntary or not, but he did. Certainly, uh, that that is correct. And uh, I was going to look at the... Uh the other accounts there, uh, and, and I'm not, not finding them quickly enough. Uh, Mike, uh, I was looking at our questions that we want to look at for our study today, and, and one other question here uh, before we get back to the chat room question, and that there, there was not just Jesus being executed today. There were others being executed. Uh, who were they, and why were they being executed? I don't know who you're directing it to, Paul, but if it's all right, I'll be yeah, it, it's to you, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there, I'm, I, there, there were I'm there were two malefactors. Uh, they were guilty of, of thievery, at the very least. Um, in the beginning of this crucifixion, you find that both of them shouted the same railings against Jesus, as did the crowd who wished him to be crucified. But later, in the progress of things. One of the thieves, we don't know whether it was the one on the left or the right, but one of the thieves evidently began to think about his situation and that of Jesus. And uh, he besought Jesus after, well, he first said to the other thief, uh, why do you rail on Jesus this way? Why are you doing that? Because this man has done nothing amiss, but we die justly. And uh, he then turned to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, remember me when thou art come into thy kingdom. And Jesus replies, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One obviously is repenting of his sins. And while Jesus was on earth, he had the power to forgive sins. Uh, that opens up the subject. Can he do so now without us being immersed into Christ that is baptized? And the answer to that is no. 
while Jesus was still on the earth, even as he did with the man sick of the palsy, let down through the roof before Jesus by friends, Jesus said to the man, uh, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Pharisees pondered that and questioned Jesus, and who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus replied and said, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus, though he had not yet died, is still on the earth, obviously, had the authority to forgive the thief of his sins, and did. The other thief never recognized Jesus as being the Christ at all. I'm probably going to reference what Mike just said when we get to the next section and we consider more about those uh, thieves and and, uh, the conversation that takes place there. Uh, But as we look at Luke's uh, orderly account, Luke has uh, even documents the the travel from uh, being with Pilate to being with uh, uh, to the place in which Jesus would be crucified. Now, I don't know if we received any answers or not. Uh, Brothers, uh, if you'd look there and did, did anyone answer the question of why were there multitudes of mourners? Yes, Paul, uh, we sure do. Let me bring that up. I don't have as good of a setup today as I normally have. I'm I'm working at the house, and so uh, I depend upon you guys a little more. That's all right. We had one one reply, and Stephen James simply says they were the silent minority, maybe. (laughs) Uh, It says there are multitudes of them, but I think uh, that Stephen points to something that's very significant here, and and that is that uh, there was not a unanimity about uh, Jesus uh, and what people thought of him. It was very divisive, in fact. There were some who remained supporters of him. There were some who obviously had respect for him. Uh, Even among uh, the council, even among the Jewish leaders, uh, we're going to see that men like Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea, that they were men uh, of some influence who... Uh, had an appreciation for who Jesus was. So we see this division that, yes, there were people who were stirred up about Jesus. They wanted him to be crucified. They wanted everything that he stood for to be stopped. Uh, But then we also see that there were those who had come to believe in him and and those who at least believed he was a good man and and those who maybe had been close to him. And so they are mourning uh, the loss and what's about to take place. But yeah, you know, Paul, uh, another observation, if I remember correctly, though, looking at Jew, Jewish tradition, it was it was somewhat traditional for the Jews to to mourn. There were people who that's what they did. I, I've actually read in places that mourners were hired on instances. I'm not saying that that's what happened here or whatever, but but it, it seems that mourners were often associated with events like this. Sometimes they knew the individuals, but not necessarily always. We do know that Jesus uh, says something to them, you know, warns them that what you really need to be mourning is what's going to happen in the future, which basically is the destruction of Jerusalem. So. Yes, uh, and, and Jesus, uh, in the outline that I put together, we, we did not uh, go into great detail about that. But certainly Jesus does warn them about future events that were more worthy of their mourning uh, than his situation. And so um, I I just found it to be interesting to me that while some were crying out, crucify him, others were weeping over the occasion. Uh, You know, I've never witnessed an execution um, and uh, a live execution, and I suspect that no matter how despicable uh, the person would had been, uh, no matter what they've been accused of, that it would be uh, very, I suspect, a very troubling uh, event to witness. Well, Paul, uh, there, there may be something else to not. consider with this. Um, yeah, we we may be we, we may be uh, going through um, different scenes. In other words, um, the group that was called together when Pilate was addressing what to do with Christ may not have included all the mourners. It may have been just primarily the the Jewish leaders and those who were 
were pushing for this. Um, the mourners may have been, they may not have been brought on until after the conviction was announced and they started the process down the road to take him to be crucified. Certainly, uh, we're going to look at some of the people who were present, but we don't know where they divided up. Uh, yeah. You know, some of those people who were crying out uh, were present, but, uh, and some were supportive of what was being, uh, was happening. We're going to see that, that maybe there are, there are folks who were not uh, engaged in that conversation, as you mentioned. I think that's really good. Uh, Tom, uh, we're going to have you read verses uh, 33 through 49. This is the section where Jesus uh, is crucified, and we're going to look at some of the details of this. Uh, you know, it's interesting that when you read about the crucifixion, uh, that at, at the uh, end of our previous reading, Jesus is, uh, he's traveled the road uh, to the place where you'll be crucified. And then uh, that's verse 32. Then by verse 50, uh, we have the procedure for Jesus being buried that takes place. And so in this short reading that Tom is going to read for us, 33 through 49 of Luke 23, we have uh, this uh, incredible Bible event that takes place. Tom? Okay. All right. Beginning in verse 33, New King James, we read, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers when the, with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrews. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said these things, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, uh, uh, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. All right, uh, Tom, thank you for reading that. Uh, I am echoing somewhere, I think. There, it's better. Uh, when we look here, uh, the question that I have for our chat that we'll come back to at the end of this section. And so if you're watching us uh, on YouTube or you're watching us on Facebook or even at truthfactor.com, uh, if you would uh, provide your comments to this question, it says, why is the place called Calvary? And what other name is it known by? And so we'll talk about that as we get down there. Hey, Paul. You know, it's simply, oh, go ahead. Um. We've got a, we have a couple of comments that came in, um, oh, kind of under that last section that I had missed, and and Brendan brought it to our attention. Um, you know, back up want just to a second. Bring those in. All right, let's see. The first one is a Shelton Leg. Shelton is in the Oklahoma City area, and. He says he still had many followers and disciples that misunderstood the fact that this was a spiritual kingdom. One reason for the mourning over Jesus may have been based on that. Oh, what a, what a good comment. What a good observation. Maybe they thought, well, we thought the kingdom was going to be here, and uh, now uh, they're taking our king away 
uh, to crucify him. They didn't understand that it was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus was coming uh, to uh, establish and that this was just part of it. Uh, Shelton, I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a very uh, astute observation. Yeah, it's a pretty good comment. I think it has some application today um, because we're in physical bodies and we're in this physical realm that we we sometimes look at perhaps the state of the culture around us or that church attendance is dropping. Um, and we have to remind ourselves that God's kingdom is not physical. It's not numbers. It is spiritual. It can never be shaken, can never be destroyed. That even physically, if it's shrinking somewhere in the world, it does not mean it's being defeated or somehow it's coming to an end. That is an excellent point. I think that's point. right. Uh, good points. Yeah. Um, and then the next one, Stephen James says, I, this was interesting. He says, I suspect that virtually all of the circumstances surrounding the crucifixion of Christ was demonic. That's an interesting uh, statement, I think, John. And uh, uh, it would be good for us to maybe explore that when we had more uh, more opportune time just to to go into some of the details of that. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah, I you, understand you know, what he's saying, though. But I, but you're right, though. Yeah, and, and uh, I that is a great observation. I mean, everything that was happening here was evil, which is the I mean, the actual actions. Of course, God's going to use the evil for good. That's the point. You may you may remember when uh, when we talked about Jesus in the garden being arrested. Uh, the observation was made you know, as they came to get him. This is your hour. You know, talking about why'd you come in the darkness, but this is your hour. So that kind of points to a little bit to the evil of everything that's happening. The physical events are evil, but God will use it for His glory. Certainly, uh, we see that over and over in Scripture is that God takes things that we would see as being uh, disasters and He turns them into something good. And so uh, let's go ahead and, and proceed forward to uh, the section that we're on, verses 33 through 49. And uh, that is our chat question. Uh, why is this place called Calvary? And what other name might it be known by? Uh, and we'll talk about that at the end of this section. It's very uh, interesting that we sometimes uh, explore, and I think it's a good thing that we do. We explore all the medical and uh, all the meaning behind a crucifixion. Uh, certainly people in that day would have had a much better handle on what a crucifixion was, but it simply says they crucified him. Uh, and I asked a question here, and John, maybe I'll turn to you for this one. Uh, and the question that I have is, did they know what they were doing? Uh, Jesus says, uh, forgive them, and he talks about why. And I think it's interesting that we might consider the question, did they know what they were doing? John? You know, I always hated it when the teacher gave me the hardest question. <laughs> and it may be, uh, I, I have multiple answers uh, for this question. I kind of, and, and you're right, I think a lot of it has to depend on um, how you're looking at it. Um, and, and maybe we'll go back a minute to what Stephen James said about it being kind of demonic. It's everything that surrounded the crucifixion, everybody that was a part of it had a single intention, kill Jesus, stop this whole movement. For whatever their motives were, they wanted to stop the movement, and the mob mentality led all the way up to Jesus' death on the cross. Um what they did not know is that the Father was letting this happen because it was his will for Jesus to be the sacrifice. It's not like it's one of those cases where everybody surrounding Jesus was in favor of Jesus, and this was a controlled action to bring about a cause. Um, everyone surrounding this, except for the Father, obviously, um, everyone surrounding this wanted Jesus' demise. So... What they did not know, I, I, I don't think they truly knew that the man they were crucifying was going to be both Lord and Savior. You know, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, this man whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Savior. 
I don't think they fully appreciated appreciated it. I think many of them thought he was a fraud, a liar who was misleading the people, and they were jealous of his following followers, and they wanted him put to death to get him out of the way. I don't know. Well, John, I think that you make a good statement. I, I might boil it down into more questions, uh, and that is, did they realize they were crucifying a man? Well, yes, they realized they were yeah. crucifying a man. Uh, were there some who realized that they were crucifying an innocent man, uh, that this was an unjust death? And I think, yes, there were some who realized they were crucifying a man who did not deserve to be put to death. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did they realize the uh, greatness of this act in putting to death the Son of God? I think that's when Jesus says that those uh, in particular who were doing that act did not realize the, the terrible thing that they were doing. Uh, I think I got a note here from Tom that he has a comment here. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, uh, just real quickly. It's kind of interesting. I'm I'm doing a lot of study on evidences right now for a class. And one of the things we're going to deal a lot of time with is the resurrection. And asking this question, did they know what they were doing? Apply it to the Roman soldiers who were crucifying Jesus. They knew how to execute somebody. They knew how to physically put him to death. So you've got a you got a whole you got another side of that question that you asked. It's a broad question, and so and 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 the significance of that is Jesus really was put to death, and that just answers arguments uh, by some who are skeptical of the resurrection of Jesus. We can sure, talk more the, about that the later. Romans were, the Romans were experts on execution, uh, and yeah, exactly. no question. I think about this question. I think about Stephen. Stephen prayed for the forgiveness of his uh, those who were uh, stoning him to death. And so, uh, as we look at that, uh, I think that you would say that no one who really had the clarity of thought would want to do that. So, and I'm sorry, yeah. uh, Brendan. I saw a note that you forgot your comment. I talked so long, you forgot your comment. So that was not that was not the goal. Hey, Mike, uh, we read here that, uh, of course, Jesus had been stripped of his clothes and um, Mm -hmm. maybe the only thing of value that he had, uh, so far as we read in Scripture anyway, were the clothes. What happened to those? The The inner cloak was woven from top to bottom without seam. It would have been then considered a very expensive cloth. And rather than tearing it and dividing it between the soldiers, they cast lots for it. They, they gambled as to who would receive that inner cloak. The other garments, of course, were parted among the soldiers. Um, though there are traditional things that would say that Jesus at least had a loincloth on, in all the humiliation that they had done otherwise with Christ, I'm fully convinced that he was completely naked when they crucified him. They were so greedy of everything that they even took his clothes. You know, we we know we understand that the uh, the embarrassment of that. Uh, one of those dreams that most uh, kids have growing up is that they show up someplace in public and, and they forgot their clothes or something. Uh, yeah, but here yeah. It, it's all part of the shaming. Uh, it it you know, is, to, and it, it, it was it was a medieval time, obviously. Um, I, I, I'm going to make a statement that reflects on our last discussion as did they know what they were doing. They didn't care what they did to humiliate Jesus. The more, the better, as far as the soldiers were concerned. But Jesus looked at that question from the other aspect and simply said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They didn't realize how dignified and holy Christ was, but they didn't care. Therefore, Christ was just another criminal. Let's profit from him. Uh, our family needs clothing. We'll divide this up. And as far as the inner cloak is concerned, uh, let's not tear that. Let's gamble for it. Whoever gets it can do with it as they wish. Maybe sell it for profit. Uh, I can take off on a tangent here and tell you that it was not used as the Shroud of Turin, but I, I won't go that way with it. He he was he was crucified in as great a shameful fashion as possible. Yeah, that was a popular topic uh, a few. Uh, I was going to say a few years, maybe a few decades ago, uh, to talk about the Shroud of Turin. But uh, we'll not 
not going to have a great deal. Uh, we see that there's an inscription here, and uh, I don't know who I've talked to and who I haven't. Uh, Tom, you want to tell us about the inscription? Yeah, it's, it's, it says the inscription was, this is the king of the Jews, and it noted that it was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Latin being the language of Rome, so you've got the official uh, the official language of condemnation, Greek being the language of the common people, and Hebrew being the language of the Jews where they are at. Uh, we, we find over in Hebrew, I think it's Matthew's account, they, they, they wanted him to change it to say he said he was the king of the Jews. And uh, for whatever reason, that was one thing uh, Pilate did not uh, consent with them concerning uh, absolutely. They, he just said, I've written what I've written and, and that's it. it. That's what it is. And so, uh, the accusation was that he's the king of the Jews. Uh, and I guess the, if he's being crucified, the, uh, the end result is he was, what he was accused of was true. He was the king of the Jews, but not in the sense that they thought. Now, Brendan, um, I really apologize earlier that I kept talking uh, when you had a comment and maybe you, I would have liked to have uh, brought things um, out on that a little more. And uh, I know how it is to, oh, I've got a comment. I got a comment. And then all of a sudden, when they finally get to you, it's gone. But I was going to ask you about the reaction of different people there. We read about the general people being there, uh, the rulers being there, the soldiers and the criminals. Uh, what is the reaction uh, of all these different ones to Jesus on the cross? Well, I think what you see is a lot of them are just mocking. Uh, they're taking claims that he has said. They're mocking what he is, what some of the things he has said about, you know, one, one statement, uh, one of the accounts is uh, if you're, if you're truly the Christ, why not save yourself? Come down off the cross. Um, uh, that I would say there's even a reaction of ignorance. Uh, maybe this is just me, but when he calls out, um, which is again, it's in another. Never mind, it's in another gospel account when he cries out, uh, "Why hast thou forsaken me?" Uh, but um, some of them, one centurion in particular, uh, was convinced of his deity at the end uh, when he gave up the ghost. Uh, but there's a there's a whole bunch of different reactions, even among the criminals. One is one criminal realizes that he's being justly punished because he committed wrong. And the other one is just obstinate in his error, even though he's being crucified on the cross. Um, he's still just a very vitriol, bitter man. Uh, We're going to talk about that in, in a moment, Brandon. Uh, Brendan, excuse me. I apologize. Uh, another thing I hate is when people mispronounce my name. Uh, but Brendan, uh, when we look at this... Uh, uh, we're going to look at that guy, at the, at the criminals. It seems that it's pretty clear when you kind of piece together things that at the beginning they were both uh, sort of mocking, ridiculing, uh, calling out to Jesus in a, in a not very uh, pleasant way. But one of them kind of comes to his senses over, over the period of time. You think that's what you observe there? Yeah. Um, one real definitely realizes that He's, he's suffering justly. Um, it's his due penalty. Um, and realizing that the man in between these two criminals uh, is not guilty of anything. And so he's being wrongly punished. Uh, so. Yeah, the people, we have a mixture. I asked about the people. We have a mixture of the people, uh, mourners. We have uh, those who are glad to see it come. Among the rulers, they're the ones who sent him there. Uh, the soldiers, you read them mocking uh, and offering him sour wine. Uh, they're, they're not, uh, again, expert. They are experts in execution, and they're doing this to the, the greatest level they can. And the criminals we see uh, at the beginning, they are both uh, kind of um, railing at Jesus. But one of them we're going to talk about now, and he kind of comes to his senses. I think I'll send that to John. Uh, Real quick. Why Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Before I move on, uh, on maybe some of the attitudes. I remember my comment from earlier, which applies here. Uh, on the leaders, uh, of pretty much, I wouldn't say they're rejoicing, but more of an attitude of glad we got this done with. Um, 
there have been other there have been false Christs who had risen before Jesus, um, who had led people astray and who were preaching falsely. And every time those those guys had risen up, the leader got killed or he disappeared and the movement disbanded. So the leaders are dishonored the assumption it's another one of those movements. We can get rid of this guy. We'll be done with it. Um, and going to an uh, uh, earlier com- uh, question about they knew not what they did. Um, the leaders truly didn't understand who this man was, who, who Christ was. Um, and so they're thinking he's just another false prophet. And they're going to find out in three days time that and the rest of their lives that this was no false prophet. This truly was the son of God. Oh, what great observations there, uh, Brendan. And I appreciate that a great deal. We do read about one of those thieves, uh, and, and one of them kind of comes to his senses, and he says that we have received the due reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong, and he calls out for Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And I'm not sure how much the thief on the cross knew about Jesus' kingdom, uh, but did realize that he was a king. And uh, Jesus says that today he will be with him in paradise. And, uh, John, my question uh, that I was going to see if you had some, some thoughts about uh, was why would one of the criminals be in paradise? Uh, you know, uh, Mike talked earlier about he had not obeyed the gospel. Um, and so uh, normally we tell people that if they want to be with the Lord after this life, that they need to obey the gospel. I think that's right. Uh, what about this man? Why would he be able to be in paradise uh, with Jesus? Well, Paul, I'm, I'm going to say something and kind of keep it in, in the proper context. But in Absolutely. a manner of speaking, he had obeyed the gospel. All right, now let me explain what I mean by that, obviously. Go ahead. This I, I was, think I know, but you, you go ahead. You know, this, of course, was before Jesus' death. So um, if you look at Jesus' life, um, especially when you think about what he says in John chapter 12, if an individual believed in Jesus, they believed in the Father. It was that simple. If an individual accepted the words of Jesus, they accepted the words of the Father. Um, I think it's John eight twenty four. Uh, unless you believe, you'll also likewise perish. Um, something to that that effect. Um, and then you stop and think about the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You had the ones that had labored all day and the ones that had labored for an hour, and they all received the same wage. Well. When the thief went to the defense of Jesus, he acknowledged that Jesus was an innocent man. And then when the thief said, you know, Lord, remember me. All right. Um, I believe he was acknowledged. He, at this late hour of life, he clearly repented and believed in Jesus. And that's what was required. The gospel uh, required uh, there to be the resurrection. Uh, and the resurrection has not happened yet. He did what people uh, under that dispensation knew uh, what they should do. Yeah. Now, Paul, gospel means good news. So that that was kind of my point. You know, before Jesus' yeah. death, you know, he was the good news. But after his death, then, yes, that's exactly right. The, the, the true gospel that Paul says is the power of God to salvation, that is that good news is based upon the resurrection. It is. The resurrection and of Christ. So, yeah. And in reality, any of the salvation that was in the Old Testament was looking forward to the Messiah and what he would do. So uh, uh, that, that, that's a really good uh, way of looking at that, John, when we consider that we must uh, do under any time what we are taught to do. And today people couldn't be saved like the thief on the cross, but... Uh, but he did not live under a time in which the gospel was being preached in the same uh, way that it is today. Uh, Brendan, uh, you had a comment. I think Tom had the comment. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. I. You know, it's kind of interesting. The fact that he asks the Lord to remember him when he comes in his kingdom, that tells me, even though it's not stated anywhere, that these thieves observed some of the trial that took place with Jesus in the presence of Pilate. They knew what the accusations were and so on. And he obviously understood something about this kingdom, what was associated with it. And, uh, and you know, that, that kind of lends to the point of, of, you know, that John was making about it. I mean, he, uh, you know, he had some, he had some knowledge 
prior to this. And I, and I just think that's interesting. As he makes this observation, he acknowledges exactly who Jesus is. And uh, I, I, I'm convinced that he, he said that he's being crucified because he did nothing wrong. He even saw the travesty of the trial and all those types of things. And uh, there's just interesting observations about this. There's so many things. And again, of course, you know, he's, he's described as the most famous thief in the world, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, because of the way that he's used, or I should say misused, to deny what we need to do to be saved. But, uh, appreciate those remarks, uh, Tom. I, I did get a note here that we have a comment in the chat room regarding these things, and we'd like to bring those in. The what one about? that we're going to bring in is... Um, a couple minutes passed, but it's uh, from Stephen James. And Stephen says, I suspect the Romans were largely oblivious to precisely what they were doing. Now, this comment goes back to the discussion of whether or not people fully knew what they were doing. And I think Stephen makes a very good point. These Roman soldiers were probably doing what was normal for them. You got a prisoner. He's been found guilty. He's going to be put to death. They're going to abuse him and mistreat him. And here's a guy claiming to be king, so he gets a little bit extra treatment because he's claiming to be king and so forth. Uh, absolutely. And and what we see here is that um, some things that I did not include in our, uh, our discussion is that the very end, uh, Jesus cries out uh, after the sun was darkened uh, over the face of the earth. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Uh, and it says, having said this, he breathed his last. And there, Brendan mentioned to us a moment ago, the centurion says, uh, certainly this was a righteous man. And uh, there is a, a reaction, a reaction there that we see uh, to these things. And uh, certainly nature indicating who Jesus was. We see uh, everyone present uh, that is willing to be in any sense of the word honest is seeing uh, the greatness of Jesus. And so we, we had a question here we offered at the beginning about uh, they said that they let him out to Calvary. And uh, I asked if there was another word that's used sometimes for this place uh, or if uh, anyone had some insight to the meaning of that and we see Shelton leg uh, Shelton I appreciate you watching and listening and participating today the scripture says Calvary or Golgotha that's another name that we uh, read about in scripture as it is sometimes translated is named this way because of the, uh, the hill hill I'm sorry because of the hill being shaped like a skull and I've heard some different uh, explanations of that uh, when we consider that uh, and wh whether it is uh, the actual shape of the hill uh, or because it was such a morbid place uh, of execution. Uh, and so uh, Stephen James says the place of the skull, isn't it? And so, but I, I've read the same thing that uh, was. Paul, there's another thought with that uh, place of the skull. If you look at Psalms chapter 22, you'll find that he talks about the dogs encompassed me. It was not uncommon for crucifixion victims to be left on the cross for several days before they died. And once they died, possibly several more days before they were taken down to bury. Uh, remember, these were just rapscallions. They, nobody cared at all about them. So if indeed... Uh, Gentile bodies, especially Jews, had a had a, a tradition of burying on the same day as death. But other victims may well have hung on the cross for a number of days to the point that dogs would have feasted on those things and bones been left around the premises. Yeah, appreciate those comments there, Mike. Uh, I think you guys lost me for a minute. Uh, do you have me back now? Yeah, you're back. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, everything went black. So, uh, on the computer, not with me. <laughs> <laughs> and Gregory, uh, go ahead, Tom, with your thought about oh. Calvary. Okay, yeah, uh, another real quick observation. I believe Calvary is only in the King James and New King James. 
Uh, the other versions use the, the skull, and actually, if you look at the Greek, it, it is the Greek word for skull. Uh, John actually says that Golgotha is the Hebrew word for place of the skull or skull mm -hmm. and so on. But Calvary is actually Latin. It, 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 it's a Latin word for, for skull and, and how it made its way into these manuscripts, I don't know, or, or how it became the translation of the King James, I, I, I don't know because even, you know, looking up the King James Greek, it's actually the word cranium. It should be the skull. So I do, I kind of find that interesting. I have no problem with using the term Calvary. I know what it means, but it's just interesting in the actual wording is skull. Well, now let me uh, bring in um, Gregor's comment because it kind of goes to what Paul, uh, Tom was saying. And Paul, you could probably relate to this. Uh, a skull, according to tradition, this place was outside the city and the domed top of a hill, similar to a top of a skull. Oh, wow. I don't understand what you're referring to there, John. The, basically, the place, the place of the crucifixion. Oh, never mind. Paul, your head's like heaven. There'll be no parting there. And, uh, and, and you don't have Brian to back you up today. I think Brian's out there, and he's with me in spirit. So no, I, I understand that. I understand that. Uh, and Brian actually has a comment. He says, it's interesting how many of our songs call it Mount Calvary, uh, but it is uh, but it is not called a hill in scriptures. And so that is that is an interesting uh, comment there, uh, Brian. I appreciate that. Uh, Brian has some uh, things he has to attend to today, and we miss him when he's not here and uh, appreciate what he's doing. Go ahead, Brendan. Well, mountain and hill sometimes are subjective. Uh, living in Oregon, we would get people coming out from the Midwest and look at the green hills, what we call green hills, like, wow, you guys have so many mountains. Like, no, those are foothills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you all have mountains in the area, and those aren't mountains. <laughs> Tucson has real mountains. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Right, so. Oh. Well, here we see this this great Bible event that takes place uh, that Jesus is uh, crucified and he's given up the ghost and he is. Uh, he dies prior to the. Uh, <coughs> uh, they come to break his legs. And of course, uh, you know, I'm not trying to do a uh, an entire harmony of that, but uh, just, just a thought there. So we see in verses 50 through 56, and uh, I'm going to ask, I don't know who's not read yet, uh, maybe Mike, if you would read verses 50 through 56 in a moment. And what we're going to gladly. see is the events. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said gladly. Okay. I, I appreciate that. And so uh, when we look at verses 50 through 56, we're going to see how Jesus uh, is buried. We're going to see the people involved in that. We're going to see some of the events that Luke records for us that that take place there. And so uh, let's take a, a go ahead and dig into that. We've got uh, not a long time left, and but we don't have a lot left to cover either. So, Mike, if you would read verses 50 through 56. I read from the King James Version. <clears throat> Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath grew old. The women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, our question for the chat room is, who is this Joseph we read about? We read about many Josephs in the Bible. Uh, who was this Joseph? And so uh, we uh, talked about a little bit. What was Joseph's question for Pilate? I can 
uh, just look to the uh, scripture here and I see there that he's asking for the body of Jesus. He wants to have the uh, uh, the privilege to give Jesus a decent uh, burial. And so uh, that that is that uh, simple answer. And so uh, maybe we could go to uh, Tom and say, uh, Tom, could you tell us in a few words what the burial was like? Well, now, if you are talking about the burial of Jesus on this occasion, it just simply says that they took him down, they wrapped him in linen cloths, and uh, and they put him in a, a, a basically a, a tomb. And we know from other accounts that it was Joseph's tomb, and it was a, a freshly hewn tomb. It uh, none had been laid in it, and so on. That's basically what we know. I've I've heard people say that they embalmed him with spices and so on on this occasion. I don't know if they actually did a whole lot of that because of the hour, because it says it was late and um, the Sabbath was approaching. So they they just wrapped his body uh, in linens temporarily until they could come back and finish it in a couple of days. And they just laid him in the tomb. I think one of the other uh, passages where it talks about that Nicodemus was there, Nicodemus provided, while well, Joseph provided the tomb, Nicodemus provided the spices that were used there uh, on that occasion. And who all observed the burial? Uh, John? Paul, I'm going to defer. I'm working on something here real quick, and I wasn't paying a no bit of attention to what you were saying. Uh, that's no problem. Uh, so we read there how he goes and asks, you see, that there were women uh, who had come with him from Galilee and followed after uh, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Uh, and they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath, according to the commandment we read there. So uh, who is mentioned specifically by Luke uh, is, uh, the is the women. We have about five minutes left, Tom. And so you had a brief comment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've mentioned that I'm studying evidences and uh, the importance of the resurrection. I've done quite a bit of study on it. This is a very key verse uh, in verse 55 where it says that they came to Galilee. They they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. You know, there's several uh, there's several arguments that are made against the, re the, the the resurrection of Jesus. And there are some who say that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. But it's kind of interesting how the scriptures actually in little small ways, if you read the text, answer many of the arguments that were made. And here's this here says that they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. There was no going to a wrong tomb. They knew exactly where his body was laid. And that's it. Okay, uh, Brendan? Um, this is one of my favorite um, passages to go to to show uh, at least one of the legs of why we can trust the New Testament text. Uh, because it's interesting that the people who find the tomb first or who go to the tomb, who follow the tomb, who look at where the body is buried are women. In the ancient world, that was a no-no in any of your accounts. If you read the histories of any, any of the Greek histories, Roman histories, uh, Plutarch or Herodotus, uh, the biographies, Iliad, Odyssey, whatever ancient work you want to talk about, women are rarely, if ever, named. And often, if they are involved in the, in, in the story, they're a plot device, they're not a main character, it's just they're an object. Here we find from Genesis to Revelation, specifically here in the resurrection, women are an important part of the biblical story. Women are named. Uh, women are main characters. And it's women who see Jesus being buried in the tomb, and it will be women who first tell that he has risen. Absolutely. Uh, and, and those were all very good points. And uh, my what day of the week was it? Says the preparation day. Um, if you're wanting to know uh, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, uh, I'm a very firm believer in Matthew 12, 40, where Jesus said that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, even so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. We know that he rose on the first day of the week. You back it up, it would have been Thursday. But this big preparation of, for Passover, 
They had several Sabbaths. The high Sabbath was the last of that time, which would have been the Saturday. This was the day of preparation. It was in preparation for this high Sabbath of Passover. Uh, that'd be a good discussion for us sometime as, as we look at this and uh, on the, the actual time frame, because there's some different thinking about that from among different ones. And so I uh, appreciate that, Mike, very much. Uh, as we look at uh, the uh, nearing the end of this, who was this Joseph? We asked our chat room. I uh, do. Anyone answer that? No, Paul. Uh, Joseph, uh, he was an influential uh, Jewish man of some uh, wealth. Uh, we sometimes call him Joseph of Arimathea, as the scripture does. And we don't know a lot else about him. Uh, we read about a couple of things that happened with him in scripture time. Uh, certainly an honorable man. Uh, wanting the body of Jesus, wanting to bury it. Uh, I don't think there's any, uh, 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 Tom just mentioned he's part of the council, uh, but I, I don't think we look at him having any ulterior motives in wanting the body or, or anything like that. Uh, I believe that he wanted to get uh, this man, Jesus, wanted to get him a, uh, a decent burial. And so uh, that kind of wraps up this chapter. Uh, we could have studied a lot longer on this, uh, and, uh, but we want to leave conjecture alone. And, um, certainly that's an important part of this. And this was not intended to be a harmony of the gospels, in which case we would take in all that Matthew and Mark and John had to say as well. Uh, but just to look at what, uh, Dr. Luke has to share with us, uh, as he gives this, uh, orderly account of the events that, uh, brought Jesus's life here on earth to a conclusion. And then we have the exciting part of this uh, in chapter 24 that we will look at in our next study. John? Uh, Paul, I appreciate that. I apologize to the chat room. Um, I've been having to do Brian's job today. Brian normally throws the questions into both chat rooms, and I failed to do the one about Joseph. Although you presented it, I didn't drop it in, so it's out of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Let me so just say uh, something about John, uh, something good about John. Uh, and that is that uh, the entire time that we're studying, John is usually doing things in the background that provide this nice looking, as we think, uh, format for us to study in. Uh, you, you, different things that you see happen, different things that pop up on the screen. That's almost exclusively John. And uh, so when I called upon him and, and he said uh, he'd take a pass, uh, you understand that he's putting together different parts of our study and we appreciate John. And without his expertise, this study would not be possible. Well, Paul, I appreciate that. We did have one more comment. Let's see, from Stephen James in answer to the question. Uh, he says, from Mark, Joseph Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council. And... Uh, Tom and Brendan sent me a note of that uh, as well, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And I'm assuming that's talking about he has been looking at the prophecies. Uh, he had considered uh, what the things that were happening during their time and realized that this was the time in which the kingdom would come. Yeah. Thank you. you know, so much. And he also believed Jesus. He also believed in Jesus. I think that's a part of the coming in the kingdom. Go ahead, John. Um, that's a good point that Tom made. Um, there, you know, you know, there were people, disciples that followed Jesus, or maybe they weren't always with him, but there were one, there were people watching like Joseph, you know, there were people who were paying, even Nicodemus was paying attention to what was going on. And, um, we, we, we really, we really appreciate their, their, their faith and their, their patience through these times. Yes. All right, Paul, any other thoughts or comments? I think you did a good job with this chapter. Uh, next week, we'll go into chapter 24 with uh, Brian taking the lead on that one, I believe. But do you have any other thoughts before I pass it around to the gentleman? I do not. Okay. All right, let's see. Tom, you have any thoughts or comments? No, it's uh, been a good study. Uh, like it's been observed, we could spend a lot of time on this. It's an important event. Uh, we've, we've highlighted Luke's account of this, and, and it's just so important that we understand uh, Jesus dying, but of course we also 
and and this audience, I believe, fully comprehends this. That's not the end of the story, as we find out last week so, or next week. Absolutely. Brendan, appreciate you joining us today. Do you have any final thoughts or comments? Nope. Good to be in the saddle again. Hey, you're, all, you're always welcome. Now, you, you get the notifications, so you're always welcome to hop in. Mike, appreciate you joining us today. Now, are right, your plans are to, to join us once February gets here for sure. Well, not February, Absolutely. once we start that, Acts. That's the intention, yes. Okay, very good. Glad to be back with you today. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, Mike, we appreciate appreciate you. And that's right. After Luke, we're going to go right into a study of the book of Acts. Uh, there won't be a break. We'll, the next week, we'll, we'll follow up with our study of Acts. So hopefully you can continue with us as we go through that time. And for those who joined us in the chat room, we want to thank you for taking time to join us for this study. We realize that we're asking for about an hour of your time, and sometimes days get busy and it's just hard to do. But we appreciate your interest in spiritual matters. If you do have any questions or comments, we definitely want you to uh, to contact us. As we put up on the screen off and on through the study, there are different ways that you can, um, there we go, that you can contact us, um, and we'd like to hear from you. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, we would greatly appreciate you doing that. And that's at youtube.com slash truthfactorlive, truthfactorlive. There's our YouTube channel, um, and also you can follow us on Facebook. It's also Truth Factor Live on our Facebook page as well. All right, Lord willing, we'll continue our study of Luke in, in Luke chapter 24 next week. And that will be right here at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. And the rest of the Eastern Time Zone, that's at noon. Right, thank you, Paul. 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. It's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>